Well, do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're doing a series on the church and we're looking at uh, various aspects of who we are and what we do. And so we're continuing that uh, today. Coming at it from Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. I'll read them. We'll put them up on the screen as well, but I'll read them. We'll pray and we'll get to work. Colossians 3, verses 15 and following. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray right now as we open your word that you would speak over your people, that you would help us to understand who we are and what we're to do. Lord, we, we pray that you, by your word, would, would help us to gain a vision of what the church is and our involvement in her. So we commit this time to you. We ask that you would have your way, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in these three verses, we see this identity of the church. We see what it means to be the church or to answer the question, who are we? And then we see what the church should be doing when it gathers. What should the church do when we all come together on a Sunday morning? And what should that look like and feel like? And finally, what should the church do when we scatter, when we send you out, when we uh, proclaim or, or a benediction on you, a blessing on you and say, okay, you're not dismissed, you're sent. And what should that look like? And what should that feel like? So this should help us consider who we are as Park City Church. Well, the first thing we find then is being the church or who we are. We find our identity, and this is very important. In order to understand how the Bible works, it often gives you um, the idea of you have to be something before you do something. You have to understand who you are, and then the activity that you do flows out of that identity. So being comes before doing. And we find that in verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. So we have this verse here that's helping us to understand who we are as the church. And we need to understand who we are so that we might understand what we're supposed to do. It's very similar to the Ten Commandments. You guys have heard of the Ten Commandments before. But if you look at it in its context, God tells them what he has done for them and who they are in, in light of that relationship before he tells them, here are 10 words of my grace. He says, here's what I've done. I'm the Lord, your God, who rescued you, who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Therefore, in light of that, here's how you live. It's how the Bible often works. It's how the gospel works. God says, here's who you are. Here's what I've made you to be. In light of that, here's how you live. Now, if you flip-flop, if you try to do those backward, you get in trouble. If you try to say, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm, 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 go I'm going to produce who I want to become. I'm going to try to earn God's favor. I'm going to try to be a good enough person. I'm going to try to obtain a status through my efforts. That, that, that gets you off track real quick. So the church needs to understand who it is before we can talk about what it's supposed to do. 
So here we're told that the church is a, it's a body and we're all members of it. As members of one body, you were called to peace. So the church is a collection of individuals who relate to one another in a relational reality. It is an interconnected relational reality. It's a body. It's more than a meeting. A lot of times people, when they think about church, they think about uh, a name of a church, Park City Church, for instance. And they think about a place, a location, where get people, a group of people will gather week by week. They think about a time. So at the tree farm, on Sunday mornings, at 9 o'clock, I go to church. But the Bible presents this reality that we are a body and we are connected one to another. So it's more than a meeting. It's much more than a meeting. It's a group of people who are doing life together. So in order to pursue that, we, we, we have to think through, well, what does that look like? And how would, we, how would we move in that direction? How would we get beyond kind of the ordinary description of church to this reality of being members together in a body? How would we move in that direction? Well, let me give you a few ideas of how we're doing that. One is we need conviction which is what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to convince you that church is much more than a meeting. And as you develop that conviction <clears throat> from the scriptures, you should desire that. You need a conviction. This is what I want from church is far more than just gathering together. I'm convicted that church is far better than that. Then you need constructs. You need systems. You need things that help you move in that direction. You need a plan. And so uh, I'll share with you a, a few different ideas here. Constructs would be things that help us to grow together as a church family. So for instance, one idea is a church, direct, a church directory, uh, basically a yearbook for a church where we have photos of the people who are a part of our church and we have their names and we see them and we go, okay, I don't just sit beside them on a Sunday morning. Oh, who, what were their names? Everyone will always you know, call me and ask, okay, They'll, they'll start to kind of say, they were like three rows back, and he was wearing like a salmon color shirt, and what was, what was his name? And, and I try to help people with that, and that, that indicates this desire. I don't just want to sit by them. I don't just want to see them week by week. I want to know who they are. And so a construct, a thing that would help us move in that direction would be something like a yearbook, uh, a church directory where we see each other, and we, we look at each other, and we know each other's names. And one of the ways that I've used a church directory uh, in pastoral ministry is I'll, I'll use it as a, as a prayer instrument. So I'll actually look at you guys in the directory and I'll be praying for you and I'll take notes. And I need to do this because I'm, I'm just, I've got a really poor memory. So you guys will be t telling me significant things on a Sunday morning. And if I don't get back to some document and actually write it down, I'll forget. This week I was... I was kind of uh, frustrated by that because there was a person in our church who's facing health issues, and I'm praying for them, and then I begin to wonder, am I supposed to know exactly what they're going through? Because I, I wonder if somebody actually told me what their health concern was, and now I just can't remember it. And so then I get, you know, I'm embarrassed by that, and I'm discouraged, but um, I'm thinking, man, did, did the wife tell me that this individual is dealing, and I was trying to piece that thing together. So for me, a construct that helps me to look at you as more than just people who attend a service, 
is something like a prayer directory, a church directory where I'm praying over specific things going on in our church. And we've got good people who are helping me to work on that, and we're going to develop that. And, and, and if you want a copy, we'd love to give you a copy, but we would love for the church directory to be a tool where you say, I know the people who are in my community of faith. I'm praying for those individuals. I'm doing life together with them. Another uh, construct would be something like a coordinated group's ministry. As we think through life together within the church, it's important that we would consider these different relationships that we have and see that as a, a significant part of being this body. So we don't want groups just kind of doing renegade things and doing their own thing without a coordinated effort. We want groups to be kind of on the same page, working in harmony with one another. Because otherwise you end up with a body that is out of whack, where limbs are doing different things. And it just looks like it's out of control. So we want our groups to be coordinated. And, you know, a simple thing that we've done in the past is, is a report. We've, we just ask leaders to say, who's in your group? What are some of the things that they're going through presently? How can we be praying for them? And, and, and what are the things that you're studying together? And how can, we, how can we leverage these experiences as you guys are meeting together week by week in different places? How can we leverage that for the sake of the body? So we need conviction that church is more than a meeting. We need constructs to help us move in that direction. And we need a culture where that comes true. We need it to feel like that's normal. Where doing life with other believers is normal. Where we say this is just a part of the culture of our church. We are a body. We share together in life. And we pursue Christ together. So that's who we are. We are members of the body of Christ. And then we get these priorities. If that's true, if that's our identity, here are some implications. Here are some realities that we need to pursue together. First off, we need to pursue relationships. If we're connected, then we ought to have relationships that reveal that. So in verse 15, it tells us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's a relational reality. It's saying, look, there is a peace of Christ that ought to be dominant in your heart. And it's a relational reality. It's not just this abstract, like, I'm at peace. It's saying, in, in the context of real relationships, there ought to be this peace. In fact, it goes on to say at the end of verse 15, this is your calling. Since you are members of this body, you are called to this. You are called to dealing with other members of the body of Christ in this posture of peace. Really, it's a summary of the previous paragraph. If you look up at verses 12 to 14, we find out what this relational dynamic ought to look and feel like. It says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with the character of Christ. As God's people, here's how you're to relate within the network of relationships in this body. You are to put on Christ. Clothe yourself with the characteristics of Christ or the fruit of the Spirit. It, it describes it here. It says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When you think about other people within the church fellowship, you ought to be thinking, I'm called to this way of peace, and here's what that might look like. I'm putting on characteristics of Christ. 
I'm putting on humility. I'm putting on kindness and gentleness. I have patience toward other people. He goes on to say in verse 13 that we need to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. So we're supposed to forbear. We're supposed to be able to look at each other and say, I care deeply for you. And even if we're in conflict, we are committed one to another. And I'm going to forgive you. And if I have a grievance against you, we're going to work through that. We're going to resolve that. But we have this relational priority here because we are members of one body. A lot of churches never pursue this agenda, but this is our agenda. We want relational health. We want what we call a gospel culture, a place where people are coming alive to God and, and with one another, that they're dealing with one another with honesty and humility. So we need to pursue these realities. We need to forgive as we've been forgiven. That's what the next verse says there in that section. And over all these virtues, we need to put on love, which binds together in perfect unity. So we have a priority then to pursue relational health. We can't just look at each other and say, you know, we're loosely associated. We, you know, I sit in the front, they sit toward the back. I maybe see them week by week, but I don't know their name. I don't know their story. I, I don't really give a rip. No, in a church, we are one body and we therefore care for each other and love and serve one another. So one of the priorities as members of one body is to pursue the peace of God. Another priority that we have, though, is to be thankful. Look at the end of verse 15 where it says, and be thankful. We need to be a people who are grateful to God for the things that he has done. We need to be the kind of people who are, who are grateful of all the stuff that God is doing for his grace toward us, for his work in the world, and we need to be a thankful people then. Now, here's the sense that I get, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but the vibe in Christianity right now is not thankfulness. And I'm talking about Christianity at large, and I'm talking about even within our church family, the, the vibe, the, the assessment that I would give is that the, the last 18 plus months have revealed not a thankfulness to God, but a complaining and a, um, and, and a concern and this kind of angst and this uh, evaluation of the cultural moment that basically is, is um, fearful. Instead of being thankful, there's a lot of complaining and grumbling and pining. We're looking at this cultural moment, and instead of being thankful to God for all the work that he's doing, we're, we're concerned and we're wringing our hands and we're thinking, oh no, we're in deep trouble here in Christianity. If it has a future at all, we, we have to rescue it from the cultural moment. Complaining and grumbling, Don Carson, one of my professors, pointed this out. He said, it's an affront to God's goodness and his sovereignty. Amen. In fact, when we complain, the Bible tells us, Philippians, it says, do everything without complaining or arguing. So we have this high calling to be the people who are thankful, to do things different. We're the, we're the body of Christ with the priority of relationships and the priority of being thankful that we would look at the moment and we would say, God is at work, and I am grateful for that. He is doing something in this moment, and that I'm any part of it is a pure joy to me. So we need to be a thankful people. Now, this does not mean that we pretend everything is just peachy, that we just whitewash the world. It doesn't, it's not antithetical. Being thankful is not antithetical to a, 
a proper evaluation of the moment. In fact, that's what the letter itself is doing. There's false teaching. There's false ideologies within the church. Paul is writing to correct people. He's looking at things and he's being honest about it. And he's saying, no, there are some things that are out of whack that you have heard the gospel, but now you are, you are straying from it into, into these other things. He's able to properly evaluate the moment and to render judgment. But nonetheless, we need to be able to do that with a posture of thankfulness. We need to be the people who are known for our gratitude for God's grace. And that's going to show up in the next two verses. It's a refrain in all three verses. We need to be a thankful people who have a gratitude to God, who are grateful to God, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we have a priority to pursue thankfulness. Now, the second thing that we find here is that we need to gather together and do something. So in verse 15, we, ha- we, we see our identity. Here's who we are, members of the body, pursuing peace together. And then verse 16 tells us what we do when we gather. We get people <clears throat> together, and there are some things that happen there. Now, there aren't a lot of, surprisingly, there aren't a lot of passages that draw a straight line from what the Bible says to what we do on a Sunday morning. Uh, that was a surprise feature to me uh, as I became a pastor and I started to think through, what does the Bible actually say about this? And there's not really a bunch of proof texts that say, get everyone together in one location, do these different things, uh, sing a few songs, take up an offering. I mean, all of that is, is right. And all of that is biblically warranted, but there aren't a lot of places that you can go in the scriptures to say, here's a straight line from what the Bible says to this. But nonetheless, this is one of those verses that tells us here's something about how a gathering ought to feel. Here are some priorities for what we do when we gather together. And in one word, it is worship. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So what do you do when you get together? You worship. You worship, and that worship is not divisible. It's not that we get together on a Sunday morning and we do a little bit of preaching and then a little bit of worship. It's not that those are different from one another. It's all worship, and it's all meant to serve our worship. So everything that happens as we gather ought to be moving in that direction. The reading of Scripture, the call to worship, the preaching of the word, the singing of songs, the blessing of benediction at the end, all of that is to serve our worship, to help us as the people of God experience something of the glory of God and express that appropriately. So preaching is worship. Singing is worship, and they're meant to go together and work in harmony. So let's look at them piece by piece, okay? So one of the things that happens in worship is that there's this message of Christ. And that ordinarily will show up in a Sunday service through the preaching of God's word. It's the message of Christ. It is more than just the Bible. It's the point of the Bible. Because there can be sermons that are thoroughly biblical but never get to the point. That can, that can look at scripture and explain scripture and never get to that message of Christ. But Christian worship is filled with this message of Christ. 
it's filled with this biblical teaching about him. And ordinarily, it's going to happen with a, an elder or pastor standing in the front and opening the word and reading it and explaining it. And that's going to be the, one of the primary ways in which you encounter this message of Christ. I'll show it to you from an earlier section in Colossians. So here in our passage, you don't really have this word preaching, um, but actually it showed up almost identically in chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Here's what Paul says about his ministry. In Colossians 1, 28, he says, He, Jesus Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Here's, here's what he's saying. Here's my job. I proclaim him. And then he picks up the same phrase that he'll use in our section, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. He is preaching the word of Christ, the message of Christ to the people so that they would hear that and be uh, presented fully mature in him, fully mature in Christ. That's my job. As I, as I think about what part of my role is as a pastor of Park City Church, it is to preach the message of Jesus Christ so that everyone might be presented mature in Christ. It's hard work. He says, I strenuously contend. When I preach, I'm thinking through how can I be emotionally engaged in the moment? How can I be mentally engaged in the moment? How can I be spiritually engaged in the moment so that the message of Christ would result in maturity in the people of God? People fully mature in Christ. I work in that direction. So when we gather, this is a feature of the gathering. Teaching and admonishing with all wisdom so that people might become mature in Christ. Now, this reality should show up richly so that the word of Christ might show up, might dwell in you richly. N.T. Wright, I love how he puts it. He says, the church is to be so stocked with good teaching, just like a palace is filled with treasure. So when you come in here, the word of Christ ought to dwell so richly in here that people come in and they go, it feels like I just walked into a palace full of treasures, that there is a word of Christ, and it is here, and it is resident, and it is residing here, and I just enjoy being here looking at all of the treasure available to me. And I hope that that is the case here. But look, as you look at this passage here, you'll notice that this teaching and admonishing in our section doesn't come from just a pastor. It's actually flowing between people. It's, it's happening between one another, which is a beautiful reality. This is one of the goals that I would have for our church, that we would be so full of the message of Christ, that it would be dwelling richly among us, that there would be the message of Christ kind of reverberating back and forth in our community. There's a preaching ministry, but then there's an echo ministry that there's this echo within the community of faith where you guys are talking about it. In fact, the Puritans, um, they, they considered this a spiritual discipline. They gave it a funny, funny name, but I think it's important for us to consider. They called this a spiritual conference. What they wanted was for the people who attend church to be able to go away from church and then have intentional conversations about what they've heard. That there would be this echo ministry within that 
community of faith. They would sit with each other and, and rehash the truth of the gospel and apply it to one another. That's what I hope will happen. I think that happens in some measure at our, in our group's ministries, but I hope that we would become a people who are so full of the message of Jesus Christ that it is reverberating through our community, that you're talking about it, that in fact it would feel normal. Do you notice how sometimes you think about spiritual conversations and you go, man, this is going to be so awkward. How do I go from kind of normal stuff, like how work's going and how the kids are doing to spiritual realities? Well, the people of God, that should not feel as distant. In fact, it ought to feel very normal for us to say, in one moment I was talking about my kids and in the next moment I was talking about my king. There should be this natural ability there. And that's what's happening in this community of faith. They, they are teaching and admonishing one another with words of wisdom around the message of Christ. Well, that's the ministry of the word. And there's a ministry as well of music. That there, there's a singing that needs to happen as a result of the message of Christ. That we're called to, to make music with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We have a variety of different options available to us. We need music that actually comes alongside us and helps us to express the vast way in which the gospel applies to our lives. Sometimes we need lament. We need to be able to say, I am broken, and my world is broken, and the music that we sing together reflects that tone. Sometimes we need to sing words of praise where we acknowledge the victory that we have in Christ. Sometimes we need to draw on the rich resources of the Psalms, and we just say There's, there, there are Psalms that, that touch on every aspect of the human experience, and we need music and melodies to, to accompany that. We need the music ministry of our church to help us reflect this beautiful reality here. And I want to say publicly that Ellie and Melody are doing a fantastic job of this. They pray for you, they consider you, they think about what you most need, they, they deal with you with care and concern, and they allow the music of our church to reflect those realities. But we need to be a people who gather together and do these things with gratitude. In fact, the, the end of that verse there is that we're singing to God with gratitude in our hearts, that we're singing to God in response to His grace. This is where that thankfulness comes from. It's when you begin to realize that God has dealt with you gracefully, that he has given you more than you deserve, that in Christ you are redeemed and set free. And so when you sing, you are singing out of that storehouse of his abundant grace. You are acknowledging the goodness of God toward you and your undeservedness to receive it. So God is calling us to sing with gratitude in our hearts. Now, finally, the third thing that we find here is not only who we are and what we should do when we gather, but also what we should do when we scatter. The third thing that we find is what we do when we live out the way of the church. Verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's, here's what it's basically saying. Every week, there's an encore. So we gather together, we sit under the word 
of Jesus Christ. It's dwelling richly among us. We're responding with gratitude for it. We're singing together about it. And then we leave from here and there's actually an encore. Worship doesn't end when our service ends. It actually just begins. We send you away from here believing that everything that you do throughout the course of the week is meant to be done in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why we design our church the way that we do. We acknowledge that there is far more opportunity by sending the people of God out than by simply trying to get them all in one spot. In fact, if you think about the math behind it, there are 168 hours a week. You might spend two with me on a Sunday. How are we going to leverage the rest of those hours? So we have determined as a church and the leaders of this church, we have determined that the best way forward is to be a missional church, which means we're going to do the best we can with our two hours for sure, but that's not the whole gig. That's a very small portion of it. We actually want to leverage everything for the sake of sending you out and using those 166 hours quite well. In fact, if I think about the, the biggest opportunity for us as a church family, it's, it's where you work. You spend the majority of your time at your place of employment, 40 plus hours a week. And, and I'm, I include in my definition of work, uh, parenting and, and retirement and, you know, grandparenting and all these different things. You've got stuff that you invest in week by week. You've got work that you engage in week by week. Now, if we want to be an effective church at advancing the gospel, we have to figure out how can we get the gospel there? How can we help you do your work for God's glory? And that's what it's saying here in verse 17. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it in every aspect of the way that you live, whether it's word or deed. The way that you communicate has an opportunity to reveal the gospel to people. The tone of your emails and text messages, the content of your conversations, do it in the name of Jesus Christ. When you communicate with other people, the way that you talk and the things that you talk about have an opportunity to draw people to the Savior. Do it in his name, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Think about your communication and all the people that you're going to deal with this afternoon, this upcoming work week. Do all of your communicating, your word, Speak the words out of your mouth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then indeed, the things that you do, how you, how you work, your work ethic. As people consider you as a fellow employee, how do they think about that? Do they see you as a, as a benefit to the organization? Do they see you as somebody who is doing your fair share of the work? Do they see you as somebody who's doing your work with integrity? Because we're to do this in the name of the Lord. No matter who your employer is, we work as unto the Lord himself. How you serve when people consider how you spend your time and the things that you get excited about. When they look at your, your hobbies, do they see that you're doing all of that in the name of the risen Lord? When you show hospitality to others, do they see that you're doing this in the name of of the Lord. Everything that we do should be done in the name of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10:31 says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So this week as we 
again, send you away from here. I remind you as much as I possibly can. Your life matters. Not just your attendance at church, but your life matters. As a missional church, we want to inspire you to do life on mission. We want the, the relationships that you're building, the network of people that you encounter week by week, we want them to experience Christ through you. Whether or not they end up here, that's for the Lord to determine. But we want you to go away from here inspired to live on mission for him. And while we do that, we give thanks to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're aware of his grace. We're aware of what he's done for us. We're aware of his redeeming work in our lives. And therefore, we go away from here giving thanks to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me pray, and then we'll do just that. We'll send you out. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you can help us to know our identity. We are members of a body. We are not just loosely associated individuals. We are a part of your body. Lord, would you please help us to love and serve one another, to care about each other, to know each other's names and burdens. Help us to love each other well. Lord, as we gather together, may the word of Christ dwell in us richly. May it feel like coming into a storehouse of a palace full of treasures where we see the beauty and the majesty of our Lord and Savior, and week by week we're just inspired by that. And then, Lord, as we go, as we depart, as we scatter, would you help us to do everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We pray in his name. Amen.